0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to our new digs. It's been a long time but uh, now that everything is finally put in place I want to thank um, right away uh, particularly the members of our leadership team who uh, were instrumental in bringing this to where it is today and all the wonderful things they've done. Um, Not to exclude many others who also contributed especially on our work day and so forth. We appreciate all the help that we've received. I also want to give a big thanks to Art and Cindy Cam who are with us today for having hosted us at Camp Consulting for almost two years. We wouldn't be here without you, so thank you for that too. (laughs) All right, let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, on this day, when you have brought us to this new place, a place where we hope will be a place where we can gather as a family for a long time, not only that, but a place where we can Um, outreach to other people and that they would come to and they would hear the gospel and learn about your son through your word. We ask this morning, Father, that you would take care of us throughout this service this morning and uh, help us to work out any of the kinks on our first day. We also pray, Father, for everybody here, the needs and the difficulties and the suffering that people are going through at this time. Father, some known to you alone. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let us stand now and have a congregation song. Just a couple of reminders before we get started with today's message. First of all, because it is the first Sunday of the month, uh, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper um, at the end of our service today. Um, I hope nobody sat on the communion elements this morning, because we put them on the chairs. Once we get tables, we'll figure out again how we want to do that, but we will be celebrating it today on this special morning. Also, I want to remind everybody once again that our good friend, Pastor Kingsley, is planning a missionary trip to Johannesburg, South Africa, from September 9th to September 27th of this year. Please keep him in your prayers, as well as his family, for much success in evangelizing. Also, um, the Healing Hands of Christ Home, they, are, they have a new building that they're purchasing. Um, by the Lord's grace, we've been able to provide funding for that. We do ask that you would pray, though, that the Lord will remove obstacles that are being put up right now to uh, their receiving the finances. So, tricky. Finances in other countries can be pretty tricky. So we just, please, once again, pray for that. All right. Well, it's finally here. I'm um, very excited this morning. This is sort of our trial run, um, but I, I hope that you had no trouble finding the place. Um, I want to give you just a little housekeeping before we get started so you know where things are. Um, we have one bathroom. Sorry, ladies. Um, it's here, okay? You just go through there, and there's a bathroom. Um, I would ask that there's no queuing, you know, like on an airport airplane when you, there's no queuing. You know, so That just means no big lines over here, especially if you're going to talk. That's no way. Also, um, mother's room. We do have a mother's room. It's right around here. It's the first door on the right. Um, between the bathroom and the mother's room, I just want to let everybody know that I am going deaf. So don't worry about what goes on in there. I probably won't hear it. And if I do, I won't tell you. So, Also, we, uh, just so you know, housekeeping, emergency exits. Of course, we have the exit that you came in on. But also in an emergency, if that's blocked in particular, we also have another exit through this door. Um, Go right straight out, and then there's a door around the corner, and you can go out that way. Okay, so two emergency exits, one in the front, one over here. Not over here, because this is the bathroom. All right, but over here, there's another emergency exit. We do have coffee. This morning, we have bagels. That's in this uh, setting, set up right over here. Um, also bookshelves. We have a lot of material that we used to have, but we now have room to put it out again. Um, we have gospel tracts. Okay, We have lots of Bibles. If anybody new comes on. What's that? Oh, oh, oh okay. You're signaling the... I got gotcha. you. Hannah Farley. Uh, oh, right. She's on the ball, that kid. Sorry, Emmanuel. It's just, it rolls off my tongue, you know. It's been a long time, but anyway. A uh, great guy. I'm so happy that uh, Hannah found him. Um, also, yeah, so the... Uh, all right, settle down. Um, bookshelves, again, lots of Bibles, gospel tracts, other, other texts and so forth, promises. Um, if somebody new comes and you notice them, Make sure to offer them a Bible. Many times, people that come for the first time, they're not used to bringing Bibles to church, or maybe they haven't been to church before. Also, we're going to have those little welcome bags again, so make sure you bring one of those to them as well. Also, um, we have a mission field right next door on either side. Okay, so you can check those out at your leisure. Um, You know, other Wiccan hair salon, by the way, that's kind of interesting. And Wiccan, yeah, and, and a smoke shop, which we're not really sure what's going on. So, But, again, it's a mission opportunity, right? I mean, a lot of people probably come through here, um, have never really come to face-to-face with the truth of the gospel and Christians that, you know, aren't judging people all the time. So look out for opportunities, okay, to preach the gospel to people around here. And also please invite people now that we have this place. Um, please invite people so we can fill it up. We will have tables, though they're not here today. So... Rest assured, you know, sometimes it's faith, right? you got to just believe that they're already here, even though they're not yet. But they will be. All right, let's begin. Um, this morning, our passage is in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. That should sound familiar because that's where we ended last time as well. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Lord speaking, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, the helper, the counselor, may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. This morning, we're going to wrap up this third subject in our passage. It's in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus is speaking, you will keep my commandments. So this morning, we're going to consider, once again, the subject of what it means to love Christ. And this morning, by the way, the title does not come from the Gospel of John, but another passage that we will be in this morning. And we're going to see this morning a connection between love and suffering. Between love and suffering. Just like we've seen, I'm going to show you in a few minutes, the illustration of the mutual circles. I don't know if you remember that, but love is that way. It's a mutual thing. We love, he loves us and we love him. Um, we love him, so we obey him. Obeying him means loving others. Okay? So there's that in, interdependence, that weaving together that love does. Okay, And some difficult things that we have to face when we face them with the love of God, um, it works out better. That's all I can say. All right, again, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. First, the definition of love. According to the Lord, love is acting or giving sacrificially. Acting or giving sacrificially. Right there we see the connection, don't we, between love and suffering. Sacrifice is, is suffering. It's pain. It can be loss. And yet we are, we are told to love that way, just as the Lord loved us that way, just as the Father loved us that way when we were his enemies. And that acting, that giving, is on behalf and only for the benefit of the one loved that is love according to the lord and god set the precedent for this love because he loved the world remember john 3:16 please turn there john chapter 3 verse 16 love is giving or acting sacrificially on behalf of for the benefit of the one loved God set the precedent. He loved us first. He showed us what love was all about. God the Father. He, was, he acted first. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Notice, love means giving or acting sacrificially for the benefit of the one loved. In this case, the world. God, by the way, is not willing that any should perish. He loves Every person in the world, every person who ever did live, who lives now and will live in the future, God so loved every person that he what? He gave, he acted, he acted sacrificially, he loved the world even though the world was and remains today in rebellion against him, and he loved the world by giving the world the greatest gift imaginable, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. He gave everything He could, and He did everything, and and He asks us to simply believe what He's saying. What He's saying about who we are as sinners, dead in our sins and before we're born again. What He's saying about what Christ did for us on the cross. The resurrection and the simplicity of faith. Jesus put it another way. Please look at now in John chapter 15, verse 13. Now, he's going to take that concept of acting sacrificially, of giving, and he's going to apply it now. He's going to apply it to his relationship to us and then our relationship with one another, all in this one verse. Look at John chapter 15, starting in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Laying down one's life is sacrificial. Laying down one's life involves suffering. It can involve loss. And yet that that is the definition of love as far as Jesus is concerned. The greatest love is that you lay down your life for your friends. And then he turns to us and he says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. Love is giving or acting sacrificially on, for the benefit on behalf of the one being loved. Remember, the essential thing, we the love, as, as, the, as the poet says, is a many-splendored thing, and that's true. So there's nothing wrong with emotion associated with love, but that's not the essential part. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. It's needed, but it's not the essential part. What's not Saying things is nice, but it's not the essential part. What is the essential thing? The essential thing about love is taking action on behalf of the one you love. That's what God says. That's what Jesus says. Love, the essential thing, is taking action on behalf of the one you love. And we are called here to love Jesus. And so what action is that taking? Well, when it comes to loving Jesus, as we see in our main passage this morning, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments, right? John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. He said to people, Lord, you tell me I'm Lord, Lord, but why don't you do what I say? Loving Jesus means taking action. And for Jesus, that means obeying his commands. Obeying his commands. We love Christ when we obey his commands. And yet, our flesh is not at all interested in obeying his commands. Right? Our flesh now, the human race naturally, is is not at all interested in laying down their life for the benefit of others. Nope. Naturally speaking, the human race is not capable of forgiving somebody who's hurt them. Mm Mm-mm. So so on the one hand, the way to love Christ is to obey His commands. On the other hand, naturally speaking, in our own flesh, we cannot do it. it, So where does that leave us? Does it mean that that we're never going to be able to love Him? Well, if that were true, you know, He would have told us. This doesn't mean that at all. What it means, though, is that there has to be a love that comes before our love for Christ. That's the only way we're going to learn to love him. If there's a love we've already received, we've already experienced, we've already observed, that, that causes us to have the ability, the desire even, to love Jesus by obeying his commands. And what is that love? Well, please turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Love is giving or acting sacrificially on behalf of, for the benefit of the one loved. The essential thing is taking action on behalf of the one you love. And yet, our flesh is not interested in doing what it means to love Jesus, namely obeying His commandments. So how are we going to begin to love Him at all? There has to be a love that comes before our love for Christ. Look at 1 John 4.19. Very simple. John has that way of being very simple about how he says things, right? And it's really straightforward here. We love, that's our subject. How do we love? We are loved sacrificially. How do we do that? How do we obey his commands? Very simple. Because he first loved us. Here, this is talking about God the Father primarily. We've already seen in John 3.16 that he loved us first. For God so loved the world... When the world was his enemy, that he gave, he took action. We've seen that Jesus Christ has loved us before. When we were his enemies, Christ died for us. That comes first. We're not going to learn to love. We're not going to be able to love until we accept the fact that God loves us like crazy. And he's, what, shown it. You see, And so he's saying, you know... Once you once you focus on that, once you look and you say, Wow, I know who I am without him. I know I'm a sinner bound for the lake of fire. And yet, look what he did. He he gave me the most precious person he had, and, and Jesus loved me so much that he died for us, for me, for me. Like 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 Paul would say in Galatians two twenty. He died for me, right? Well that's that's a that is that is an is an impact to not only knowing something, but then experiencing the action that the person has taken on your behalf. We love, therefore, because he first loved us. God's love comes first. He loved us before we were born. He loved us when we were his enemies. He is love. Any legitimate love in this universe comes from the one source, and that source is God. And that comes first. All right, let's go now back to our main passage this morning in John fourteen fifteen. John 14:15 If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a relationship, tight, tightly woven relationship between loving Christ and obeying him. Okay? You can't have one without the other. We well, talked about marriage in that way, right? That there's a there's a mutual thing going on, right? We, even with marriage. The husband loves the wife sacrificially. The lo- the wife submits to and obeys the husband. And then the husband receives that obedience and it causes him to love her more. And, and him loving her more causes her to more freely follow him, submit to him. Mm-hmm. Right? Same thing with the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, what question may you now have in your mind now that you see that passage? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What, may, what are you wondering now, perhaps? Well, think about Jesus saying it to you. Look, it's the night before he died, and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What might you want to ask him next? Amen. Thank you. Right. <laughs> what? Which ones? Because, you know, the Bible is actually full of commands. If they were to, if in that point in time, if they had heard that word, they may have immediately associated with what? The Ten Commandments, right? Well, there's ten right there. Book of Leviticus, I don't know how many commands are in that book, right? Um, so which ones are we about? Is he talking about all of them? Is he saying that if we don't do every one of those things, we don't love him? Well, thank the Lord he's not saying that at all. So there are many commands, even in the Gospel of John, as we've seen. And and yet the one that stands out, both here in the Gospel of John, in John's letters, and indeed in Paul's letters as well, there's one that stands out. Please look at John chapter 15, verse 12. John chapter 15, verse 12. John fourteen fifteen kind of gets completed by John fifteen twelve to seventeen because it answers that question: What commandments? Right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Which one? Which ones? We have the answer in John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another. Pretty simple, right? Yeah. These mutual relationships, surrounded with love, are simple to understand. They're simple to understand. Little children understand the love of the parent for them, don't they? Absolutely. The people in your life, I'll say this way: the few people in your life that love you the way that Christ talks about, you know it. It's not complicated. It's not. It's not like a series of steps. Or hoops. No. It's simple. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment. He said said in our passage this morning, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What commandment? This is my commandment, that you love one another. So he's saying, if you love me, you'll love one another just as I have loved you. If you love me, Jesus is saying, you'll love one another just as I have loved you. And then our passage we've already seen this morning one time, talking about the nature of that love. If, when we think about how Jesus has loved us, right? We're face to face with the facts of, of Jesus loving us so much that he died for us. That's the measure of it. That's the depth of it. That's the length of it. That's the breadth of it. All the way to dying for us. That's how he's loved us. And he's saying, you can't have a greater love than that. If you, you I'm telling you to love one another sacrificially. I'm telling you to love one another when you're going to lose out. I'm telling you by lo- loving one another, by taking action on their behalf when that costs you dearly. Laying down your life for your friends. If you are my friends, in verse 14, you will do what I command you. And then verse 17, so you can't miss it. This I command you, that you love one another. The whole thing is, can you see, everything is brought together, tied in through the simplicity of love. And, but it's the kind of love that God has and the kind of love that Jesus has. He loves us first. Then, because of that, we're able to love him. What He says if you love in him, that means you're obeying him. And the great commandment that he's asking us is to love one another. As he has loved us. So again, what is the first and foremost command that Jesus now, Old Testament, yes, you had the Ten Commandments. But here, remember, we're in the upper room with Jesus and his closest disciples. And he actually calls this at one point this is a new commandment. In other words, this is this is something revolutionary. This is not the same kind of love that is described in the Ten Commandments. After all, the Ten Commandments are primarily, not entirely, prohibitions, right? Uh, You shall not have false gods before me. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not commit murder, primarily, right? Obey your parents. That's not a negative. Well, for kids it is, right? No, no, no. The love that he introduces in this upper room is a totally new kind, Okay, a totally new kind. Only possible because we have received that same love that he's asking us to give, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another in this way, just as I have loved you. Verse 17 again, this I command you, that you love one another. That's the, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The first one, the one that he talks about, when he's sending this to his, to his closest disciples, is to love one another. To love one another. There's no doubt about it. This is the commandment that Jesus emphasized with his disciples that evening in the upper room. Look at John 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. First John chapter 3, verse 16. It's so marvelous that we have John's letters in addition to John's gospel. And the reason is, is that in the gospel John presents us with who Jesus is. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is setting precedents. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen. And then John follows by then taking that and, and explaining uh, to us how that works for us. And all he's really doing is, is taking what Jesus has already said and then bringing it to us so that we can act on it. Act on it. Notice, look at 1 John chapter 3.16. We know love by this, in other words, we don't know what love is until we know this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. The world talks about love, but, but, but they don't go to this precedent, do they? Do they? Does the world say, listen, what I want you to do is to be sacrificial? No, no what the world says is that you love somebody because you're going to get something from them. That's what the world says. Yeah, The world says if you have a nice emotion, you're falling in love, that that's love. Well, there's nothing wrong with emotion. But let me tell you something. Uh, and I'll use marriage as an example again. Okay? You don't know whether you love your spouse until something terrible happens. It may be something that hurts you badly. And yet you're there and you stay there and you still take care of that person. That's love. It's not, it's not a Valentine's Day card. It's not a vacation it's a commitment. It's a dedication, no matter what. We, we sometimes give short sh- shrift to the what is said during, the, during mat- weddings, right? But if you take that seriously, you know, there's that part, to de- till death do we part, whatever that is. I said that wrong. Till death do us part. Well, that's commitment, gang. That's commitment. And you want to know, that's what Jesus said. He's never going to depart. He says, I will love you to my death. He sets the precedent. Not that we're ever going to live that, have to live to that st- impossible standard. We're not going to be asked to live to that impossible standard. But he sets the precedent. And therefore what we are to do is to observe how it is that in our lives we can live in a similar way in how we love. That we remember that it's not really love unless we're willing to sacrifice for that person. That's how you know. You want to know how you, whether you love somebody or not? Check it out and say, am I, am I willing? Have I actually given in a sacrificial manner? Have I loved that person when they didn't deserve that love? Have I been willing to lay down my life for that person? Would I, would I die for that person? You know, that's a good test, by the way. You know? If you're honest, there's not a ton of people that you would die for. But there are some that's that's who you that's who you love in the sense that Jesus is talking about it. <laughs> I saw something the other day I'll just share it with you kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Um, a father had a son, and then he had a daughter. when he had the son, he said, "I'm willing to die for that child." When he had a daughter, he said, "I'm willing to kill for that child. <laughs> Come on, lighten up or not?" Yeah. Love. All right. No doubt about it. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, in other words, this I've I've been mentioning the mutuality between the love and the obedience and his love for us. I want to just illustrate it just for a, a minute here. Again, what's first? He loved us. That's first. Start there. When you're lost, when you're in pain, when you're, when you're feeling like you've blown it, start there. Go back to that. Go back to that. Just it, it, Honestly, just go back to He loves me. right? Just go back to that. Start there again. If you're lost, if you feel like you've failed, if you feel like you're confused, you've done something terrible, just go back. He loved me. How do I know? He loved me so much that He gave His only Son for me. Jesus Christ died for me. Start there. Then what? Well, because he loved us, we love him. Because he loved us, we love him. Right? In other words, the arrow goes the other way. He loved us, we love him. There's that mutual thing going on. right? Because that's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? Isn't it? He loved us, he laid down his life for us, and he's saying, why don't you live for me? Love me in that way. Then what? When we love him, we obey him. That's it. I know this is simple, but I want you to see it all flowing together now. Okay, there's a love he has for us. We love him in return. What that means, literally, to love him means to obey him. It's equal. And then we obey him, we love him more. See how that the reinforcement of that? This is your life, again. I know it's a picture. I know it's something you've heard. But enter into this. Enter into the fact that loving him means obeying him. And obeying him means we love him. And that, as we, if we live that life, we're gonna, our love for him will grow. Our love for his ways will grow. Our ability will grow to obey him. We'll be joyful about what we're doing. We'll no longer see these things as wretched commandments that we just have to do because, you know, the Bible says so. And No, it's a life of obedience and love. Then what? Then he turns around with a great commandment, right? What does it mean to obey him? Well, a lot of things, but foremost it means to love each other. That sort of completes the circle, as it were. So when we obey him, the way we obey is by loving each other. Isn't that great? We love him. We obey him because we love him. And yet what he's saying is, is that love one another. So it's really love all the way. Even the obedience is all a matter of love. And then, of course, when we do that, we love each other, then we're obeying him again. All right. What's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is that God's love can flow through our lives from start to finish. That from, from understanding how much he loved us to learning how to love him, learning that that's equivalent to obeying him, living that life of obedience, not out of law, not out of being forced to, but out of what? Love. love. Yeah, it's a totally different thing when we obey somebody out of love. Trust me on that. And then when we do that, we learn that he said, listen, um, I, I died for you. I love you. I'm asking you to live and love one another. And then when we do that, now we're really in the, in the fullness of what it means to obey him. Believe me, that's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our Christian lives. Make no mistake. Okay? You can't complete the circle of love unless we're loving one another as he has loved us. That's the point of it all. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, the outcome, the end result of all our instruction has to be love. It has to be love. That's it. If that's not there, Paul said it another way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I I give my body to be burned but have not love, it's useless. It's useless. That's what it's all about. He loved us first. He showed that love by the cross. When we come to know His love, we come to love Him. When we love Him, we obey Him. And that means we lay down our lives... The brethren, and that, my friends, completes the circuit of his love. You know, that we in the book of Isaiah, it says the word of God does not come back to him empty, right? Well, guess what? The love of God won't come back to him empty either. It is, it is designed to bear fruit that will remain. Well, but but at this point, there's another thing we need to address this morning, and that is the problem. The problem of suffering. Some of you are suffering right now. And I don't know all about what that is. I can't really. I just know it's true. Some things I know personally, other things I don't. There's some people here that are suffering this morning in a way that they maybe don't want anybody to know. Or maybe that they can't express, so they don't think anybody would understand anyway. But anyone here who's suffering this morning, I think you can attest to this. Suffering is a real problem. It's a problem. There aren't many problems in life that are this way. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most difficult questions I get, and I'm usually intimidated by the question. And it's real simple. Someone's suffering and they say, how can God make this go away? What they're really saying is this. They're asking, what scriptures will give me relief from this suffering? I get that question. Well, here's the thing about it. When you understand what we're talking about, this is not an easy thing to answer. Okay, first of all, well, sometimes the suffering is in the form of physical pain. Let's be honest with each other. You know, you know how much I love the Word of God, but the fact is, when you're in physical pain, it's not like you can turn on a magic switch with a verse and all of a sudden the pain goes away. It's not how it works. Right? Right. It's a real problem. It's a problem that I, I, I can't give that to you. I can't give you the scripture pill. For physical pain. Or sometimes it's mental anguish. A lot of times it's mental anguish. That's really hard. In my life, that's been a lot harder than physical pain. A lot harder. Okay? Physical pain is in my body. Mental anguish is in my soul. It's in my brain. It's in my heart. Grief. That's a problem. Believe me, if, if somebody in your life is, is grieving right now, and we have people right here today that are, it's a problem. It's a problem that we can't just fix or think we'll say something about. We can't. It's not, honestly, I've gotten to the point in my life, when somebody goes through a loss or a death, I say very little because I can't say very much. That really help. It might help me, but I don't know if it will help the person. So I don't say much anymore. I pray. I try to be with people when I can. Listen. Ah, Listen. <laughs> By the way, how about laying down your life? That's a really straightforward way to do it, by the way. Just give somebody your time and listen. Is that asking too much? I don't think so. Sadness, the pain of loss, it's a real problem. When Jesus asks us to love one another as he has loved us, this is a love that will suffer. In other words, no matter how you look at it, real love involves suffering. You can't get away from this. I know it's not a popular message. I know that, that there are plenty of places in Christianity that will never face this. But we have to. We have to live the life that God has asked us to live, according to the Scriptures, according to the greatness of His Son. And Jesus tells us to love each other in such a way that we will lay it on our lives. When He says, love, love others as I have loved you, we know what that meant for Him. It's a love that suffers suffering is a part of real love. If you want to avoid suffering, all you have to do is not love anybody. You'll avoid a lot of suffering. But that's no life at all. A rock feels no pain. I won't sing the second part. But it's true, a rock feels no pain. But come on, it's a rock. Is that what you want to be in life? Want to be a rock? It just goes through life and doesn't let anything get to you and doesn't love anybody else and is fairly transactional about life. Well, uh, you gave that to me, I'll give this to you. We'll stay at arm's length. I'll compartmentalize my life. I don't want to suffer any pain. I'll run away, but I will be involved in some way. I'm a rock, but it doesn't live. To love is to suffer. And to love also, by the way, according to the Bible, now pay attention to this, it's to have fellowship with the suffering of others. To have a fellowship with it. Believe me. Well, I'll tell you, with me, I'm a weak individual. And, you know, I'm easily intimidated by the suffering of other people. I get flustered by it. I can't really handle it at first. And yet, yet I know that the way of love is is to lay down my life and be able to go through some of that for the benefit of somebody else. You don't have to say anything at times. Job's friends, when he went through all the suffering he went through, you know the best thing they ever did for him? The best, what's that? It was to, yes, it was to go there and keep their his, their mouth shut for a week. Well, I like what the Jews do when somebody dies. What is it, Shiva? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Just go there, shut up. Bring some food. <laughs> if they want to talk, they'll talk. You know? To have fellowship with this. We're commanded to do that too, and it's about love. Look at Romans chapter twelve, verse fifteen. Romans twelve, fifteen. We don't run away when somebody's in pain. That's what we want to do. That's what the flesh wants to do. You know? The flesh wants to get out of there as quickly as possible and turn on the TV and Sink into your own little world, or take the phone out. <laughs> right, sink into your own little world. Man, you know, <sighs> C- cell phones. We need them; they're great. Unfortunately, you can construct your own little world. You can become a rock with your cell phone. Construct your own little world. Go there. Leave people out of the whole picture. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes. Our lives together will have rejoicing. You will have days where you're rejoicing about something. As a matter of fact, the Lord says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us what? Rejoice in all things. The book of Philippians. Rejoice, I say. Again, I say rejoice. Okay. But what does the second part say? And weep with those who weep. If you want to have, if you want to have enter into the Christian way of living fully, You're both of these things. When you see somebody and they're rejoicing, you're happy for them. Don't do what the flesh wants to do, which is automatically to bring yourself up and maybe say, well, yeah, I had that one time. Or how come they're going through that and I'm going through this? No, just simply be happy for what what, what what they're enjoying. But then weep with those who weep. Have fellowship with the sufferings of others. That's mental anguish, grief, sadness. Enter into that. You can't understand it. You can't do anything about it, potentially. But you can face it with them. You don't have to, don't have to run away from it. So there's physical suffering. There's mental anguish. There's also a suffering, an aching that is spiritual in nature. There is. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. You know, when when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he talked about, right off the bat, he talked about his suffering. And throughout that letter, he talks about his suffering. And, And what he says about it is that It was so bad that I couldn't handle it. Don't you be telling people who are suffering, God never gives you more than you can handle. That is a bunch of, I won't swear behind the pulpit, but that is not true. You know what that does? It makes people who are falling apart in suffering feel like they're they're worthless, like there's something wrong with them. There is nothing wrong with them. That's the nature of suffering. Maybe the issue is, is that you haven't allowed that to, to, re- to really feel some of that. Do you ever think of that? Maybe it's easy for you to say that. But maybe the problem is is with your relationship to your own suffering or the suffering of others when you say that. It is not true. Not true. It's a nice bumper sticker. You know, for people who want to come to church and always want to be happy all the time, that is a great one to have in your back pocket, isn't it? Let me get rid of that suffering over there by saying, hey, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Hey, what's the next worship song? No. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but what? Also to suffer for His sake. There is a suffering, an aching, that is spiritual in origin. Paul would say another time in 2 Corinthians, he would say, listen, if I'm, basically what he's saying, if I'm falling apart, it's for God. If, I'm, if I got my act together, it's for you. What does that mean? He went through spiritual suffering. Another time he calls it a thorn in the flesh. A lot of people want to make that out to be some kind of physical ailment. Let me tell you something. He went through all kinds of physical ailments, but this was something different when he talks about that. He said it was to keep me from exalting myself. He went to the Lord three times and said, please remove it, and he didn't. And he said it was what? An agent of Satan... (laughs) That's spiritual in nature, gang. And we face that. Why would there be in Ephesians 6 the full armor of God for the evil day when we're fighting the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? There is a suffering that is spiritual in nature. We will suffer. There is anguish associated with coming to know Christ. And mark it down it's not might, it's not maybe. We will suffer loss for the sake of Christ. We will. If we're, I mean, we will anyway. Look, the Bible says that we will suffer. Anyone who's desiring to live this spiritual life will suffer, will be persecuted. But also, when you take those steps to come to know him better, and you face up to the implications, and you may take a step in life that is not popular with others, that, that, is, that is, you're not sure, you, you know, and you're suffering through it, You're going to find out a little bit more about what it means to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Okay. We will do it. Look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Again, if you don't want to have this kind of suffering in your life, gang, all you got to do is say to yourself, I am not interested in loving Jesus any more than this. I got to this place and it's fine, but I don't want to go to the next step. You know, but I am a rock. I am an island. Yeah, you want to feel no pain? Well, there's a fella who said that he was an he was an atheist and he was a uh, a journalist, and he used to make fun of Christians and Christianity until one day he went through suffering so profound that he finally decided to give Christ a chance. And the thing he said was, he says, you know. He's perfect, I can't relate to that. He said, he, he performed miracles. I, don't, I, I can't relate to that. He suffered. His pain was deep. And he said, that's what draws me inexorably to Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We will suffer for his sake. But more than that, verse 8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that you come to points in your life where there's something for the sake of Christ that you a call to go through. And if you can't count whatever it is that you've got to lay down as lost, that's willing to be more than compensated by growing in the grace and knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, you won't do it. You just won't. But you won't live the way that the Lord wants you to live either. And he had to, he had to come to that decision about things. He had to say, you know what? There's nothing more important in my life than the surpassing value of coming to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I know that part of his life, in fact, in fact, it was necessary in his life. He learned obedience. He, Hebrews 5.8, I will never understand that. Why the Son of Perfect, Son of God, had to learn obedience through suffering. But I know this much, that since that's true about him, then there's something essential about it that I've got to be willing to go through. And oh, by the way, when you, we're going to see this in a minute. When you do, he's going to be right there with you. You're going to have an intimacy. The other thing this fellow said, there's nothing in my 75 years of life that has been truly worthy and worthwhile and meaningful except those things that I got to through affliction. Now, I'll bet you if you test your life out, you'll say the same thing. That, it, that it's the person in your life but you had to go through the most for, suffer the most pain for, that you have this kind of intimacy that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't gone through all that with him. More than that, verse 8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, surpassing value of just knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And then he goes on in verse 9, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. See, see, one of the things that suffering does is it strips us of any kind of element in our lives that we think allows us to live independently of them. Strips us of our pride, for example. Strips us of, 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 of an inordinate attachment to something that all it's doing is, is, is maybe it's flattering our ego, but it's drawing us away from the whole point of life. That was the law for Paul, right? He killed because of the law. He killed Christians because of the law and what he thought the law was telling him to do. And may be found, verse 9, in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's what he learned, verse 10, that I may come to know him, that I may come to know the power of his resurrection, And this is all together now, just like obedience and love. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to want to come to know him, if you're going to want to experience the power of his resurrection, guess what? You will be entered into the fellowship of his sufferings. In fact, you'll be conformed to his death in order that you may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We are being conformed to the death of Christ. Now, now don't get me wrong. It's absolutely true that we've already died with Christ. It's absolutely true that we've already been crucified with Christ. Paul in Galatians 2.20, Colossians chapter 3. right? I've died and my life is hidden with Christ. Romans chapter 6. When he died, we died. That's absolutely true. We've already been crucified with Christ. Okay? However, that's a reality. The reality of that death with Christ will play out across the rest of our lives. It will play out. You know, sometimes in the book of Philippians he talks about the fact that you work out your own salvation. A lot of people get that all mixed up with work salvation, it's got nothing to do with it. It's saying there's things that have happened to you because of your salvation, and for the rest of your life that'll be working out. And our death with Christ is one of those things. Look at Galatians two twenty, speaking of Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and notice it is no longer I who live easy to say and it's true hard to come to terms with you see until we accept the fact that you no longer live then you're going to have inordinate attachments to things you're not, going to be, you're not going to be able to give up your life unless you understand that you've already lost it. You've already. It's already happened. The life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. It's all about Him. But I know that He loved me and He gave Himself up for me. We've been crucified. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been crucified to the flesh and to the world. And these things are facts. They've already happened. You and i have already been crucified with christ nevertheless the reality will play out throughout our life the crucifixion therefore is also part of god's design for us suffering is you know it's hard to accept but it's a part of god's design for us why Because he's conforming us to the likeness of his son. In other words, his son is the ultimate in what it means to be a human being. In his humanity now, Jesus. And and, and he is saying, I am bringing you to that, to him, to become like him. And one of the tools, you know, Psalm 23, right? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Right? Well, the rod is the painful things that we have to go through in life that change us. So that we are being conformed. By being conformed to his death, we're being conformed to him. The crucifixion, it's already happened to to the Lord and to us, and yet it plays out. It's part of God's design for conforming us to the image of likeness of his son. What about his son? Christ suffered greatly. He suffered greatly because he loved other people. In his love... That involved great suffering for him. He suffered to the point of tears. The same tears we cry when the pain is too intense. When we are, therefore, in great pain, it's the pain that he suffered that comes along and forms a bond with ours. That's That's how we can ultimately, as Christians, bear it. Bear the unbearable. Because we know that he went through it. You see, his suffering comes in alongside ours, and that's the fellowship of his sufferings. It bonds with our own pain. He meets us in our agony. And that allows us, if we so choose, to be comforted when we realize that he experienced the same agony that we're going through. He experienced all our griefs. He drank the cup of suffering down to the dregs. And at times, as we've seen, he was troubled in spirit. Human suffering caused him inner turmoil. Inner turmoil. So don't be, so so, so don't, you know, if you're going through suffering right now and you're going through inner turmoil, feel like there's something wrong with you. Feel like you don't have enough faith. When Jesus suffered greatly, he was also in inner turmoil. I don't know what that was like, but I do know this. Now, whatever I've gone through in in, in inner turmoil, he's been through it and a hundred times more. What does that mean? It means he gets it. It means we don't have to be ashamed or run away or be afraid of that kind of stuff in our lives because he went through it all. When those he suffered greatly, he was in inner turmoil. Remember that in the Gospel of John when... Um, I'm gonna, I want to get through this, so, you know, you, this is the scripture, but we were there. Jesus saw the, Lazarus' sister and friends weeping, and he was moved in spirit, remember, and he was troubled, troubled. You know, there's some people that say, well, you know, if you're not happy all the time, there's something wrong with your Christian life. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're troubled by things, if things aren't quite right in your soul, well, you've got a problem. Maybe you need to confess your sins. Maybe you need to speak in tongues. Maybe you need to go on a mission trip. There's something wrong with you if you're troubled in spirit. Does that make any sense now that we've seen this passage? No. Where have you laid him, he asked. They said, Lord, come and see. And what? Jesus wept. He wept. Not only that, but the anticipation of his own suffering caused him inner turmoil as well. When he came to that hour, his soul was troubled. And he he said, Father, should I ask you to save me for this hour? No. That's why it came. Don't, but believe me, that wasn't easy to say. He was in pain. If there's any way, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, that this cup can pass, may it do so. The cup of suffering. But then he caused, clicked, he realized, wait a minute, no, not my will, but yours be done. When we are in the throes of pain, the pain of loss, Pain perhaps too deep for us to handle. Too powerful to absorb. Waves hitting us with such force as to make us lose our footing and plummet into depths of maybe even dark despair and fear. Rest assured of one thing. He is with us. I don't care where you go in your soul. I don't care how upended things, how crazy things seem. He's with you. Why? Because wherever that place is, that place of suffering is familiar to him. He's acquainted with it. He didn't run away from it in his own life, and he's not going to run away from it in yours. The Bible actually says if we are making our bed in hell, he stays with us. It's quite a statement. He never forsakes us. Never, ever, ever, ever. So therefore, when we are in the hell of suffering, of anguish, We will not be alone. He will meet us there. He will be there. It may take us a while to even realize he's there. That's one of the things about grief, you know. Sometimes it takes you a while. Things that were sort of second nature that you just dealt with. And it's like hard, you know. But he's there. Look at Psalm chapter 139, verse 8. Psalm 139, verse 8. I think the Lord gave David some incredible experiences so that he would cover the basis, kind of, for the things that we go through, right? Not like Jesus, but at least the Psalms are an expressive thing. They express what people are going through, particularly David, also the other psalmists. Psalm 139, verse 8. He's talking to the Lord, and he says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. But notice this. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's hell. Behold, you're there too. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay a hold of me. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness is about to overwhelm me, the light, even the light around me will be night. To, to the Lord... Even the darkness is not dark to you. Whatever darkness you're going through, it may seem overwhelmingly pitch black to you. It is not dark to the Lord. Nobody else will understand. People will put you down. Oh, get over it. Oh, why don't you take an antidepressant or whatever they say to you. But Jesus says, hey, 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 hey. I know it's dark for you, but it's not dark for me. So chill. Chill. The night is bright as the day. Darkness and light light, light are alike to you. He's the one person. He is always going to be right there for us in that one place that we can't explain to anybody else. Matter of fact, we can't even explain it to ourselves. He's there. And whether we accept it or not, we have the one person in the universe who can legitimately say he knows exactly what we're going through. None of us can say that. Please don't say that to anybody when they're going through suffering. You don't. Trust me. There's something very individual, unpredictable, grievous, unique. You know, you haven't walked in somebody else's shoes, and I don't mean that as a put-down, but you don't know all the things in life that kind of weigh in on something that they're going through right now. You don't. Jesus does. He's the only person in the universe that legitimately can say he knows exactly what we're going through. The pain that he experienced in life is deeper than anything we can ever imagine. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all the ways that we are being tempted. You know when some of the worst temptations happen to us? When we're involved in great suffering and pain. And he certainly went through all of that. Now, of course, he never gave into temptation as we do. However, even our sins are not unfamiliar to him, are they? Why? He bore each and every one of them in his body on the cross. We might be ashamed of our sins. I understand that. He's not. He bore them. He, we, we might be going through a tremendous darkness. We may think it's our own fault. And we may be there saying, I don't think he can possibly understand. I've taken a bridge too far. I've gone someplace where even Jesus can't get me because of my sins. Well, guess what? He's already borne them in his body. He knows all. He knows exactly. He knows the shame. And he wasn't ashamed of us. He calls us his brothers and sisters, and he'll say that forever. In other words, there's nothing that we will ever go through that he has not experienced. There is nothing that we will ever go through that he has not experienced. No failure, no fear, no shame, no agony, no darkness, no inner torment that he has not already experienced. And because of that, he comes to us in all things. He comes to us with mercy. And you know, that mercy will always be greater than our need, whether we recognize it or not, whether we can accept it or not. He comes with compassion. And remember, it's the compassion of a fellow traveler in that suffering. And he comes with love. And that love is unconquerable. I know I go to this passage a lot. Let's go to it again. Why? Because we're looking at the source of love and how it plays out and covers through whatever length we have to go to with it. Well, here we go. Romans 8.35. Romans 8.35. Here's a question we ask when we're in pain. Bye. We ask, I think I've been separated from the love of Christ. I don't feel it. I feel ashamed. The the, the things that are going on in my soul, the thoughts that have happened right now, I'm really disgusted with myself. I'm ashamed of that. I can't believe how weak I am. I'm losing it. But who will really separate you from the love of Christ? Will any tribulation? No. Will distress? Nah. Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, Lord, we are being put to death all day long. That suffering may very well be what God has asked you to go through. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, all the shame, the grief, the pain, the loss, we overwhelmingly conquer through what? Him who loved us. Him who loved us. For I'm convinced, and I hope you are too, that neither death nor life, no angels nor principalities, look at that right the worst fear in our life all if you think about death and life that's the entire spectrum of being human isn't it on this planet angels or principalities if you if you're feeling like you're, like you're involved in some kind of spiritual thing where you're just crazy well guess what no angel nor principality can ever get between you and the love of god and christ jesus Nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing ever again. No power in this universe can separate you from the love of God. No height. Heaven, remember David, if I, if I go to heaven, you're with me. If I go to hell, nor death, nor any other created thing. Boy, you know what? It, you know what the only thing that isn't a created thing is? God! And he's the one saying this. By the way, your flesh, your sins, your thoughts, your horrible feelings you get, that's all part of the creation of fallen man. That will never separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know I take you to this passage a lot. Many of you can recite it by heart, and that's a good thing, and there's a good reason. Romans eight thirty-five to 39 penetrates the most difficult, hard things about being a Christian. It can get through to us when nothing else can, just like the cross. Look, God is love. God loves you like crazy, like you'll never believe. I use the word crazy on purpose because we do the same thing. Man, there's sometimes we love somebody so much that it hurts. And we go crazy on the inside and we think that we're ashamed of that. Well, God loves you like crazy. Let me tell you something. He had to be crazy to give the perfect son in the universe to us when we were his enemies to die. Oh, you can't say God is crazy. All right, we'll choose another word but wow he demonstrated his love at the cross and it's like that simple in in three year olds that sing Jesus loves me all right this I know how because the Bible tells me so all we got to do is spend a little more time in the word of God and we'll be right back into that love that's the source of everything let's close in prayer Father thank you this morning for all the, good, all the gifts you've given us, some hard, some wonderful, all wonderful, some easier to digest than others. Father, we ask as we celebrate your son's death by, through the Lord's Supper, Father, that we would keep in mind the depths of suffering and also what it means for us when we're going through the same thing. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Congratulations to all of you who have once again successfully navigated the taking apart of the communion elements. I'm just going to read from the book of Isaiah this morning because it really, I think, sums up the message today and ties it into what it means to celebrate the death of the Lord when we gather together for the Lord's Supper. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. But surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. And yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off of, out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom this stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as the guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, the Father will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will allot him. This is the Father speaking of the Son. I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. I mean, that's the gospel. It talks about really the fact that he he chose, right, to be with the transgressors. He chose to be with us. He doesn't run away. He doesn't convict us, condemn us. None of that. So when we eat the bread and drink the cup today, you know, we should, let's today bring our suffering with us to the cross. There, of all places in his death, Jesus bore our griefs for us. He carried our sorrows at the cross. He is himself the man of sorrows. Of course he gets it. He's well acquainted with grief. He was afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. The Lord caused sins of all of us to fall on him. And what does that mean for us? We're healed. That's what it means to proclaim his death. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is worth proclaiming. And by the way, not just as a message, a gospel message, but to one another, Right to one another. What does it mean? How how does how do we live under in the foot at the foot of the cross, understanding what happened there and how he understands anything we're going through. Okay, Bible study this Thursday. We're going to do it here. Wish us luck. I, we've got to figure out how we're going to do that, but we will get it. So come here if you can if not we of course'll we'll be on skype as well by the way, this message today was broadcast live that 's back okay so if you if you, I, if, if you 're on your deathbed and you can 't come because I want you to come we all want you to be here but if you can 't for any reason, now you know it 's live broadcast and I know a lot of people enjoy the fact that that 's available, so it 's back I remember that uh, we have gospel tracks and um I'm praying particularly now that the Lord brings people here. Um, I'm praying that you bring people here. You know, the world desperately needs to hear what we heard this morning. My gosh. You know, so I'm praying for that. And, and in, in that light, remember the gospel. Okay, you can never rehearse it too many times. There's a track, there are these tracks here, these are particular ones that I like, Evanto, okay? but it's straightforward, isn't it? We're all, we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. That means, by the way, if you stay falling short of the glory of God, God has set it up, and really there's no other way about it but for us to land in the place called the lake of fire. It's just the way it is. God doesn't want that, though. We know that because He demonstrated His love. He loves each and every person who ever lived. God is not willing that any should perish. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, as a sacrifice. He went to the cross and died for us, died for every person in the universe. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead by the Father, so that whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as he is, as the one who died for our sins and was raised from the dead, will never perish, but has eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We get the unbelievable privilege of letting people know that. So let's, let's take advantage of that. Heavenly Father, thank you again for gathering us together this day around your word. As we leave now, Father, may these words be both encouragement and, and, and also challenge to us, Father, to live our lives on a new level in terms of our understanding of your love, in terms of our understanding of what Christ did for us, in terms of our understanding of your sons asking us to love one another sacrificially. And an understanding that no matter what we go through in life, Jesus is there and he knows all about it. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.